It was one of those Saturdays that was long awaited, long anticipated. I don't exactly remember all that was taking place, but I remember, remember that some childhood friends, friends of ours, were coming over for the day, and uh, the boys, my brother and I, and the two sons of our family friends that were coming over for the day, we had all kinds of plans for that day. They were bringing their bikes along, and we were going to go bike riding, we were going to ride down to the creek and go fishing, we were going to play in the barn, we were going to do all kinds of stuff that day. We were really looking forward to this day. And Saturday dawned, it was a beautiful day, and they arrived, and they were unloading their bikes, and they were getting ready, just getting out of the vehicle and unloading their bikes, and for some reason, the one brother jumped on my bike and started riding my bike around. And we had this, on the farm there when I was a young man, we had this nice long, kind of a gradual downhill blacktop that then came out to the main driveway. It was just a wonderful place to come flying down on your bike into the big driveway area. And uh, as boys like to do, it's also fun to come flying down through and uh, step on the brakes and see how long of a skid mark you can make. And so the other guy that was riding my bike comes flying down the, the hill, down the driveway, and uh, makes this big long skid mark. But the skid mark was punctuated with a pop as my tire went flat. And he just hops off my bike and throws it off to the side and grabs his bike and starts starts riding his bike and my bike was ruined. I don't know where my dad was but I had no bike for the day now. And this, this made me upset. This frustrated me. I was like, you, you ruined my bike and they were riding around, their, my brother and the other two guys, they were riding around their bikes and he comes by and, and he just rides, I remember him riding this circle around me and says, well will you forgive me? And I didn't say anything. And he makes another lap around, he comes back around, he says, well, you have to or Jesus won't forgive you. And I was really frustrated because he just ruined my bike and now he was saying, I have to forgive him. And I knew that I wanted Jesus' forgiveness. I think I did eventually forgive him. <laughs> I know I did. But tonight our topic is forgiveness. And we're going to pick up on the story of Joseph. And we're going to think about forgiveness this evening. Joseph's the, the, the topic of forgiveness and Joseph go together so well. And Joseph is just a wonderful example of forgiveness. But just for a definition, so what we're talking about here is forgiveness. The definition that we have here, I think this is also taken out of the Webster Dictionary, is to pardon, to remit as an offense or debt, to overlook an offense and treat the offender as not guilty. I think we all understand and we grasp the reality that the concept of forgiveness is foundational in the Christian life. It is a principle that is foundational in the Christian life. Our, virtually our entire belief system is built upon the idea of forgiveness, as in that we need the forgiveness of Jesus for our sins if we're going to have salvation. This evening, as we look at Joseph, I just want to run real quickly through some of the chain of events that take place. We left him in, I think, Genesis chapter 37. He had just been sold as a slave. So we're going to go quickly through what takes place until we get up to about chapter 42 in Genesis. You're welcome to turn there. We're not going to really go through a, a lot of the verses. We're just going to kind of skip through some of the occasions. We know the story well. But after Joseph gets to Egypt, he's sold as a slave to Potiphar. And Potiphar makes him a slave, and as Joseph works in Potiphar's house, eventually Potiphar makes him second in charge of the entire house. And this is a common refrain that we see in Joseph's life as he is in a place, 
people observe the way that he works and they observe that God is with him and he moves, they move him into a place of position of authority. So he's there in Potiphar's house. He's second in charge. He draws the attention of Potiphar's wife. I don't think it was on his choice or that he did it intentionally, but Potiphar's wife wants him to sleep with him, wants him to lie with him, and he says no. He runs, he flees. This makes Potiphar's wife very angry, and she accuses him, and Joseph gets thrown into prison. So he goes from being a slave, he gets thrown into prison. It's not long that he's in prison, and eventually he is put in charge of the entire prison. And he's given responsibilities in the prison. And while he is in prison, he meets these two other men that were thrown into prison, the butler and the baker. The butler, I believe, was in charge of the wine for the, for the king, for Pharaoh, and the baker was, naturally, he was a baker. Made uh, pastries and whatnot for the king, and both of them were in the prison, and they both have a dream one night. Now, Joseph, we know, he also was, a, was one that had dreams as well. And these dreams, they, they bothered the butler and the baker, and Joseph observes their countenance is fallen, their countenance is sad. Just think about that. Joseph is a slave ripped away from his family. He is falsely accused. He's in prison, but yet he observes that other prisoners are struggling. That's the type of person that Joseph was. He observes that their countenances are fallen. They're sad one morning. He asks them what's going on. They tell him that they had these dreams, and he interprets the dreams for them. Weren't very pleasant interpretations. The butler was going to be restored to his position, and the baker was going to be killed. It wasn't a very easy job to tell them this is what was going to take place, but he tells the butler, he says, when you are brought back to your position, tell Pharaoh about me. Tell Pharaoh about my plight here in prison, Butler is released, he goes back to his job, he forgets about Joseph, and I believe it's two years later that Pharaoh has his dreams. And in his dreams, he's very troubled as well, and so they're looking for somebody to interpret the dreams, nobody can interpret it. Suddenly the butler remembers Joseph, they call Joseph out of prison, and he interprets the two dreams, or he interprets the dreams for Pharaoh. The dreams were the seven years of plenty. Very, very prosperous years that we're going to have. Seven years of plenty, which were going to be followed up by seven years of famine. And Joseph told Pharaoh, he said, the famine, the years of famine, those seven years of famine will be so harsh that the seven years of plenty will be forgotten. And Joseph gives some advice to King Pharaoh. He says he would advise him to prepare, to put somebody in charge, to stockpile all that food and to prepare for the seven years of harshness of famine that's coming because it's going to be very, very rough. And Pharaoh says, Joseph, you're the man. You're the man for that job. And Pharaoh makes this comment to the men standing there when he puts Joseph in charge. He says, who else could do this job? Who else, upon, who else does the Spirit of God rest upon that has the Spirit of God within him? I don't have the exact wording there. But it's just fascinating to me that Pharaoh observed that God was with Joseph in this time where he was, where that God was with him. So Joseph is put in charge. He's second in command to Pharaoh. Just, just wrap your mind around that for a little bit. Just think about that. Joseph woke up in the prison that morning, a slave, a falsely accused slave who was in prison. He was in charge of the prison. And that day ended with him being vice king, second in command to Pharaoh. Just imagine that. Just that change of from one position to all of a sudden having tremendous authority. But he also had tremendous responsibility. Pharaoh tasked him 
with stockpiling the, the plenty, the grain, the corn, whatever it was in those seven years. And his job then was basically to keep the nation alive for the next seven years. That was a big responsibility that was placed upon Joseph. That he was to plan, he was to prepare for those seven years of famine. Well, Joseph does that. He does very well with it. He builds storehouses. He stockpiles all the grain. Then we come to Genesis chapter 42. Now, this is two years into the famine, I believe, where we again are brought back to Joseph's family coming back onto the scene. Genesis chapter 42, the first three verses there, that Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt. And Jacob said unto his sons, Why do ye look one upon another? I don't know if they were just standing around. There was a famine. There was nothing to do with it. They were just standing there with their hands in their pockets just looking at each other. Jacob says, why do you stand there looking at each other? There's corn in Egypt. Go and buy. And so they go down to Egypt to buy corn. And when they get there, they come in before this ruler. And they have no idea that they are come before Joseph. That they are before Joseph. And Joseph recognizes them. If I have my figures correct, roughly about 22 years have passed from when Joseph last saw his brothers after they pulled him out of that pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites. 22 years have passed, but he recognizes his brothers. He knows who they are. This is where we're going to pick up here. You can join me in Genesis chapter 45. We're not going to go through all that takes place. Joseph, his brothers come. He, he treats them roughly. He does different things with them. We're not going to go through all that, of all that takes place, all what Joseph does here. But we're going to jump in at Genesis chapter 45, verses 1 through 8, and observe what takes place here. This is after several times, several encounters of back and forth between Joseph and his brothers. Verse 45, chapter 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him. And he cried, Cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him. And while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. And he wept aloud. And the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am, jo I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were, very, for they were troubled at his presence. Let me just pause right there. Get a picture here of what's going on. These brothers have had some very strange interactions with this ruler. They had no idea it was Joseph. They couldn't recognize him within his Egyptian garb. He was talking to them through a translator, through an interpreter. They had no idea of who this man was. But they had had some very strange interactions with them, where he had brought them into his home and ate with them and sat them in age order. And how he seemed to single out Benjamin and putting that cup in the sack. So there was, there, it was odd here. This was, this was just not the typical interaction. So I don't know as, as, as if they came before him again, if they were on edge of what's he going to do this time? What's going to happen this time with this ruler? Something is strange. And then he calls, and then he sends everybody out of the room, and he reveals to them that he is Joseph. And says they were troubled, and they could not answer him. He wanted to know if his father was alive. That was very important to know. They couldn't answer him. I, I can just imagine their minds trying to comprehend what was going on here. This is Joseph? How could that be? How could this be? They, they probably thought, we are goners. We are toast. It is over. This man is obviously powerful. And it's Joseph. But Joseph goes on and he says in verse 5, 
I'm sorry, verse 4. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. And this is where it just boggles my mind, Joseph, what he tells his brothers. He says, Now therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in which there shall neither be earing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house and ruler throughout all the land of Egypt." How could Joseph say those things? How could he say, it was not you. It was God that sent me here. How could he forgive his brothers like that and release them? He had the power to do what he would have wanted to with them. He had the power where he could have actually reached back and righted wrongs with everybody that had harmed him since his time in Egypt. He could have reached back and he could have settled the score with Potiphar's wife with the power, the power that he now had. But he released all those people. He left all that lay and he chose to forgive. How can I do that? How can I have that grace, have that ability to forgive like Joseph? To forgive the way that Joseph demonstrates here. And I skipped over the part there where he uh, remembers his dreams. Remember we said the definition of forgive is to remit, to pardon, to remit as an offense or a debt, to overlook an offense and treat the offender as not guilty. I want to think about three concepts here this evening. Two of them are coming directly from Joseph's story here, and one comes from the New Testament. And I believe that as we get a hold, as we look at these three concepts, it will give us the ability, it will help us in being able to forgive as Joseph did to forgive the wrongs that come our way. The first concept that I want us to think about, which is what we see here in these verses about, from Joseph that we just read here in Genesis chapter 45, is that to forgive like Joseph, we need to understand the sovereignty of God. We have to get a hold of the sovereignty of God. I was once in a, a conference, and I'm not a big social media person, uh, but at this conference, this, this speaker had this thing where every now and then he's saying, now, now get a hold of this. This is, this is important. This you can tweet. This you can put on Instagram. This is really, really good. Get a hold of this. And then he'd go on this big, long spiel that was way too long to even write down. But what I'm saying is, I want you to get a hold of this here, this here statement. This here idea that the level to which you are able to forgive the wrongs, the hurts, the painful experiences brought to you by others is directly related to your understanding and trust in the sovereignty of God. Your ability to forgive and to release others is directly related to your understanding and your trust in the sovereignty of God. This is what we see in Joseph here in Genesis chapter 48, verses 1 through 8, or mainly the end part of their verses there, verse 5, as Joseph talks to his brothers, he clearly removes the purpose, removes the responsibility for the pain that he suffered from his brothers. He takes it from them and he says, it was not you, it was God. 
And it was God for a purpose. God had a plan, and God put that plan into action through you. Therefore, it was not you, but it was God. That's the sovereignty of God that Joseph was talking about. He says there in verse 5, he says, For God did send me before you to preserve life. Also in verses 7 and 8, he says that God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. God was the one that did this. If we were to look ahead in Genesis chapter 50, after their father dies, again his brothers come and they are fearful because now Jacob is dead and now maybe now Joseph's going to exact revenge. And they're fearful of this and they say, they come before and they say, we are your servants. And Joseph, he talks with them again. In verse 20 of Genesis chapter 50, he says, let me back up in verse 19 actually, he says, Joseph said unto them, fear not for I am, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it for good. God meant it for good. God had a plan. What Joseph is saying is that God is sovereign. And all these things that took place, all these actions, all these events that took place were all part of God's sovereign plan. And he chose to put his trust in that, and he chose to believe that God had a purpose. And God had a reason in it. Therefore, he says, it was not you, but it was God. And I'm choosing to trust God. And because I am trusting God, and because I'm trusting the sovereignty of God and this purpose and this plan for my life, I can forgive you of the hurtful experiences that you caused me. The sovereignty of God. Sovereignty of God means that God is, is, in, is in total control. And I want you to catch some things here in this definition of the sovereignty of God. I want you to catch the superlatives, those, those all-inclusive words, those words that entail everything. That God is in total control of everything. Past, present, future. Total control of everything. Nothing happens that is outside His knowledge and His control. And all things are either caused by God or allowed by God for his own purposes, his will, and his timing. God is the absolute and omnipotent ruler of the universe who is sovereign in creation and providence and redemption for his glory. For his glory. Romans 11:36 says, For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. God doesn't allow things to happen for no reason. God has a purpose. He is sovereign. He is orchestrating everything throughout the entire world, not just in my life, but in your life. He's orchestrating everything for a purpose. And that ultimate purpose is for God's glory. Now think about it with the life of Joseph. How that all that he went through, how that God was glorified in different stages of his life, and God orchestrated all these things for his glory. And through the life of Joseph, get this, God is still getting glory today. As we speak tonight, God is getting glory because of the way that Joseph trusted the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God throughout history for the purpose of His glory. For the purpose of God receiving glory. As we get a hold of that, as we get a grasp on that, we put our trust in God, we say, God has a plan in my life. God has a reason. Nothing that happens is outside of God knowing we can forgive others because we can understand that, yes, this hurt. This was painful to me. It was traumatic. But 
God is in control. God has a plan. I don't know what it is. Joseph didn't read Genesis chapter 45 and 50. Joseph didn't know that. When he was in prison, when he was being abused, when he was being stuffed lower and lower as he suffered, he didn't know the end of the story. He had no idea what was coming. He didn't know if deliverance was ever coming for him. But because he trusted God, because he trusted the sovereignty of God and chose to forgive each step of the way, God could continue to use him and God could continue to receive glory through him. This is a strong statement, but when you say, I cannot forgive, essentially you're saying, God is not aware of what took place. God did not have control over that situation that caused me hurt. Therefore, I cannot forgive. It was outside of the knowledge of God. Now, we know that's not true. We know from being taught little and up that God is everywhere. God is omnipotent. He's in control of everything. But when we choose not to forgive, we are saying this is outside the plan of God. Therefore, I have a responsibility to make this person pay somehow by holding them in unforgiveness. The sovereignty of God gives us the power, gives us the strength, gives us the ability to forgive as we realize that God is in control of everything. God has a purpose. God allowed it for a plan. And we can forgive and rest in that. We can release that person and say, God, I don't understand. This doesn't make sense to me. This is very difficult. It is very hurtful. But I am choosing to trust you. I am choosing to trust your sovereignty and to bring you glory in this. The sovereignty of God, as we grasp that, as we understand that, gives us the ability to forgive. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Second concept we want to look at this evening to enable us to give us the strength, the ability to forgive, is the concept that we need to forgive to be forgiven. Matthew chapter 6 verses 9 through 15. And this is the concept that my friends leveraged against me when they ruined my bike that frustrated me, but it's true. It's true. We need to forgive to be forgiven. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 15, Jesus is speaking. He says, After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. He gives us the Lord's Prayer. Then look at these next two verses. Verse 14. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Why did Jesus expound on that part of the Lord's Prayer, the forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors? Why didn't he talk about what it means to have his will done in earth as it is in heaven? Why didn't he talk about our daily bread? How much is our daily bread? Is it one slice of cake or two slices? Why didn't he talk about all these other parts of the the Lord's Prayer that deliver us from temptation, deliver us from evil? Why didn't he talk about that? The only thing that Jesus clarifies is forgiveness. 
Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And he makes it very clear. He says, if you want the forgiveness of God, you need to forgive others. If you don't forgive others, you don't get the forgiveness of God. Very clear. I believe Jesus clarified that, or Jesus elaborated that part of the Lord's Prayer because he knew that we as people will struggle with forgiveness. We'll struggle to release others as they hurt us, as they harm us, as they harmful things come our way. We'll struggle to release them. And so he explains that very clearly, that forgiveness from God is contingent upon our willingness to forgive others. We need to forgive to be forgiven. Matthew chapter 18, I don't think we're going to go through it for the sake of time, but the, this, Jesus tells the parable there of the king that settles up accounts and, he, and one is brought before him that owes him a tremendous amount of debt, huge debt, unpar- unrepayable, just a massive debt. And the man falls down before the king and he begs for forgiveness. He begs for time. And the king goes ahead and forgives his entire debt. We know the story. The man goes out and he grabs the man that owed him just a tiny little bit and demands him to pay it right away. And the man can't pay it, so he throws him into prison. Well, this story comes back to the king and the king is angry. The king calls him back in and he says, I forgave you a huge amount. Shouldn't you have forgiven your brother, your friend, your neighbor, the little bit that he owed you? And then this is what Jesus says at the end of that parable. Matthew chapter 18, verse 35, he says, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. It's a sobering verse, brothers and sisters. That is a very strong words that Jesus said. So likewise will my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. We must have the forgiveness of God for salvation. And that is contingent upon our willingness to forgive those that trespass against us. We must forgive others to be forgiven. And before we move on to the third concept, I do want to make a disclaimer here. I want to be very clear that it does not mean that it is okay to go around because of the sovereignty of God and because others have to forgive us, if you want to put it that way, that does not give us the license to go around hurting people. That does not give us the license to be, just do whatever we want and say, well, yeah, I popped your bike, Todd, but you have to forgive me. Oh, trust the sovereignty of God. God had a plan for that. You were supposed to stay at home today. No, that's not the way it works. That's not, the way I'm, that's not what I'm trying to communicate here. Jesus clarifies this in Luke chapter 17. Then said he unto his disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses must come. Jesus says, But woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he were cast into the sea, than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to, thy, to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Jesus says, woe unto him. Offenses are going to happen. Hurts are going to happen. We make mistakes. We fail. We cause pain to other people. It is going to happen, but it is not a license for us to do it intentionally. And to go around harming people and just telling them, well, trust the sovereignty of God. you got to forgive me. That's not, what, that's not what Jesus is communicating here. He is saying, woe unto them through whom offenses come. 
Somehow in the sovereignty of God, God is at work even when we do mess up and when we do cause pain to other people. When it happens unintentionally, God is at work and God does work through all that, but it is not a right for us then to be frivolous and uncaring about others in our life and telling that they must trust the sovereignty of God. We must still be careful because woe unto them through whom offenses come. The third concept we want to look at here this evening goes back to Joseph again, back in Genesis chapter 45. The idea that forgiveness frees you. Forgiveness frees you. And I, I love this idea of forgiveness freeing me. Now the definition that we talked about says that, we, that, that for, through forgiveness we release the other person. But as we look at Joseph, as we look at his, at, at his life, and what takes place after, after he is brought out of prison and he's put in second in charge, back in Genesis chapter 41, he's given a wife. And in Genesis chapter 41, verses 50 through 52, this is what it says. And unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, which Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On, bare unto him. Verse 51, And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God, he said, hath caused me to forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second called he Ephraim. For God caused me to be fruitful. For God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. So Joseph has two sons here. And he's very intentional with his names. Manasseh, his firstborn, means that God causes me to forget. God had caused me to forget the, my toil and all my father's house. Now, I don't believe that Joseph literally forgot about his family. Clearly not, because he recognized his brothers when he came. But Joseph was able to lay behind him the wrongs that they had done him. He was able to forgive them of the wrongs that they had done to him where the pain was no longer there. The sting of what they had done was no longer there. He remembered it, but it wasn't hurtful. Manasseh, God causes me to forget. The second son, he names him Ephraim. God causes me to be fruitful. Because Joseph was able to forgive, Joseph was able to release the wrongs that were done against him, he was available, God was able to use him in his economy, in his kingdom. Because Joseph released and forgave those, he was available, he was free to be used of God. He was free to be used of God, to be put into a place where God could use him in a very powerful and a very mighty way. God doesn't just save us. Jesus didn't just die on the cross just to save us, to give us a pass into heaven. He has a plan, a work for us to do in his kingdom while we are here. And as we forgive and as we lay aside the wrongs of others, we choose to forgive, that makes us available to be used of God in his kingdom. It frees us to be used in God's kingdom, for God to move and work through our lives, for Him to use us in His economy for His honor and for His glory. Forgiveness frees me, frees you to be part of God's kingdom. Joseph had a choice. He had a choice where he could have said, no, I'm not going to forgive. I'm not going to lay aside these. I'm going to hold this in bitterness. All these horrible things that have happened to me, I'm going to hold them. I'm going to right my wrongs as I can. I'm not going to forgive. I'm going to be bitter about this. And Joseph would not have been able to be used of God. God would have had to raise up someone else to be the life giver in Egypt, to take, Joseph, to take Joseph's place. But because he forgave, because he forgave, it freed him up to be used of God. 
in the kingdom, in God's kingdom, to be spent for God's economy, in God's economy. Forgiveness frees you to be used of God. Three concepts that we see here this evening that I believe give us the power, give us the ability to forgive as Joseph did. A wonderful example, an encouraging example to see all that Joseph went through and where he arrived at in forgiveness. He got a hold of the sovereignty of God. I'm going to trust the sovereignty of God. Brothers, it was not you. It was God that brought me here. God had a purpose, had a plan, and I choose to trust that, and I forgive you. We forgive because we need the forgiveness of God. We need the forgiveness of Jesus. We forgive to be forgiven. And through forgiveness, we make ourselves available to be used in God's kingdom, to be spent in God's economy, to bring God honor and glory, all things for His glory. My heart's prayer and desire is that you can look at Joseph and you can look at these concepts that, you t that we talked about and you can be inspired to whenever those heartful things, whenever those wrongs, those painful experiences come your way, you can choose to forgive, lay them aside, and be used of God in His kingdom to bring God honor and glory, to bring blessing to God by releasing the wrongs that others have done to you. I invite you to stand. In closing here, we're going to pray. Before I pray, though, I would like to just have a moment of, a time of silence where I encourage you to look inwardly and ask God to search your heart if there is any unforgiveness harbored in your heart. And ask God then, if God reveals something to you, ask God for the strength and the ability to correct that, to forgive, as we've seen from Joseph. So we're going to have a moment of silence here, and then after that I'll pray a closing prayer here at the end of the service. Let's bow our heads in silence and in prayer.